0: is Farmland and welcome to our special broadcast on the future of the common agricultural policy direct from Brussels. We're here at the home of the European Commission with officials from the Directorate-General of Agriculture and Rural Development which operates under the authority of European Commissioner Phil Hogan. The Directorate General for Agriculture and Rural Development, or DG Agri, as it's commonly known, has a staff of about a 1,000 officials responsible for the implementation of agriculture and rural development policy. It's made up of 11 directorates with all aspects of the CAP, covered including farm support, market measures, rural development policy, quality policy, financial and legal matters, analysis and evaluation as well as international relations relating to agriculture. The mission of DG Agri is to promote the sustainable development of Europe's agriculture and to ensure the well-being of rural areas. We're joined here in studio By Pierre Basco, the Director of Sustainability and Income Support at DG Agri, with Thassos Haniotis, Director of Strategy Simplification and Policy Analysis at DG Agri, and Frank Bolan, Head of Budget Management, of the Budget Management Unit at DG Agri. Thank you all very much for joining us for this special episode of Farmland. Um, Thassos, if if I can just come to you first, just Can you please update us on where the cap proposals are at at the moment? There's been a lot of talk about delays, about a possible rollover of the current cap, maybe by one or two years, um, and that there could be a delay in the the process. It may not be ready for implementation by January 2021. What is the current state of play on the proposals?
1: The said the play of the proposals is not around speculation but a process. Uh, we are in, uh, involved in uh, discussions, very detailed discussions in the Council with the Member States to clarify the elements of the proposal. And of course the new Parliament will have to decide uh, what to do in terms of the vote in the plenary of uh, the proposal of uh, the opinion of the previous Parliament in terms of uh, the proposals we have made. And I think it is in the interest of everybody, especially in the interest of farmers, that we speed up the process and actually arrive at a decision on the sooner we do it, the better for everybody.
0: Well, just to, to move on to the proposals itself, um, Frank, Ireland's key priority is to ensure an adequate budget for the cap um, and for the, the agri-food sector, particularly now we have so much uncertainty around Brexit and in the context of dealing with, with climate change. Um, so proposed is a 5% cut to the cap budget. Obviously that's a major threat for farming in Ireland. How likely is it that that 5% cut will be enacted, or could it potentially be higher than that?
2: I think we have to look at the context in which the proposal had to be made. And I think that the the challenges are very well known. You mentioned already Brexit. It's an undeniable issue that had to be taken into account. And the Commission also had to foresee sufficient funding for a whole range of other policies and areas for which money will be needed in the future. I'm talking about research, I'm talking about um, Uh, cohesion or support for instance for the erasmus program a whole range of other political priorities and policies for which funding had to be needed so a very challenging context Uh, within that context i think what is on the table is for the cap for agriculture is probably the best possible proposal with only a moderate cut of uh, less than five percent actually compared to the current situation so the proposal is there it's now for the member states, for the Irish Taoiseach and all the other prime ministers and heads of state of government to make up their mind and to make a decision as soon as possible.
0: Um, well, the, the proposal for a cut, there's a proposal for a 4% cut in direct payments um, which would result you know, in a huge impact on farm incomes. Um, a large cut is also proposed in rural development financing and over 15% cut would hit environmental schemes um, and on farm investment. Um, at the moment more than 20 member states have formed this alliance where they're calling for the the budget to be maintained or for additional contributions to be made by Member States. If there is a majority of Member States that um, agree to up their contributions, should it not be maintained if the majority want that? Um,
2: Of course we are aware of the the position of a whole uh, number of Member States, agricultural ministers, who have called for maintaining the CAP funding at its current level. But as I said, uh, there is more than agriculture in the MFF, in the multiannual financial framework. And so it's a question of reconciling the different interests. And at the end of the day, uh, a balance has to be struck between the different interests. And as I said, the proposal, as far as agriculture is concerned, is in fact a moderate cut if there is a willingness on the side of the Member States to increase the funding. Of course, the Commission would be more than happy to to see that coming. But this is, as I said, a decision that has to be taken at the highest political level, at the European Council level.
0: Pierre, um, the environment and uh, climate change is absolutely central to the reform of the next CAP. Can you um, update us, firstly, just on agricultural emissions, Europe-wide at the moment? Are they reducing?
3: Yes, agric- emissions from agriculture have been uh, going down. I think very substantially for the last twenty-five years. They have been reduced by more than twenty-one percent. So this is something extremely positive for the contribution of agriculture to the fight against climate change. However, I think we have to be um, we have to be honest. I think this this declining trend has been slowing down quite substantially over the last few years, which means that we need to step up our efforts to fight against climate change and to reduce the level of emissions from the farm sector. But there also we have to acknowledge that agriculture has a limited mitigation potential which is inherent, which is intrinsic, I think, to the biological process of agriculture, in particular in the livestock sector. So we will have to see in the future, and Member States will have a major effort to make in the future to balance, basically, the reduction of emissions from the farm sector, the sequestration of CO2 of carbon in the soil, and also to contribute to the decarbonisation of the European society by providing biomass. And there, the CAP will have a key role, and Member States will have a key role, once again, in helping to support farmers changing production practices in order to better sequestrate carbon in the soil, limit our emissions, and at the same time provide, provide a lot of biomass to the other economic sectors, while at the same time ensuring food security, which is the primary objective of the farm sector and of the CAP. And we are convinced in the Commission that we want, we can Develop, I think, some win-win solutions by, you know, supporting the implementation and undertaking of specific practices which combine both mitigation potential and also food security.
0: When it comes to the global debate and discussion about agricultural emissions, um, certainly speaking from an Irish perspective, mm. agriculture is often targeted um, as the main culprit. <clears throat> um, do you think, obviously? farmers are doing the best they can to reduce emissions and they are taking on board, they are listening, they're acknowledging and there's plans coming out all the time and and they're they're making some some gains. Do you think agriculture in general terms is unevenly targeted when it comes to uh, getting down the carbon footprint Europe-wide and globally?
3: It is clear that agriculture only represents around 10-11% of the total greenhouse gas emission in the EU. But I think this is rather uneven across countries. And you were talking about Ireland. In Ireland, I think this figure is at 31%, so very high, I think, as compared to other member states. But in any case, all economic sectors have to contribute and to make an effort in order to address, I think, the issue of global warming. And in their effort, I think, to limit the emission of greenhouse gas emission. But there, again, I think we need to uh, be aware that the climate legislation is rather flexible and leave a lot of possibilities to the member states in order to design and put in place, I think, in the most appropriate and cost-effective way, the mitigation, I think, strategy. And in this sense, we have what we call the effort-sharing regulation that basically set, I think, the target for 2020, uh, to 2020 and 2030. And in this framework, agriculture... Like other non-ETS sectors, like building, transport, waste, and uh, uh, household, agriculture is part, I think, of a bundle of sectors, and it to be for the member states to see what is the best mitigation strategy to put in place in order to be, you know, the most effective and the most efficient. But it is clear that what matters for for us is that all economic sectors contribute to the reduction of emissions, which is absolutely fundamental in our fight against global warming.
0: So Pierre, how would you describe Ireland's performance on tackling greenhouse gas emissions at the moment?
3: I talked about a figure of a 21% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from the farm sector. In Ireland, this figure is much more modest since we uh, We have registered a minus 1%, so a very slight decline in the uh, greenhouse gas emissions I think from the farm sector in Ireland, so a very modest performance. At the same time, if we look at the development in production level over the last 25 years, in particular in the livestock sector, which are the most important sectors with dairy in Ireland, we have seen a very significant increase in the emission efficiency of the sector. We have seen also a lot of efforts, I think, from the Irish government in putting in place and promoting, I think, efforts, I think, from the farm sector to reduce emission. So this effort has been very modest, but I think the, the production increase that we have seen over the last few years, I think, has really played against, I think, have contained, I think, this reduction, um, this emission reduction potential in Ireland. So overall, we will have to look. We will have to look at the total level of emission. Yeah, the performance of Ireland is very modest.
0: And it's a huge talking point at the moment. And I know I've, I've a lot of questions for you on um, Ireland's record. Um, obviously for 2020, we have to get our emissions down by 20% on the 2005 levels. Uh, there is a lot of talk, a lot of pressure that we're going to miss those targets. It's, it's fairly well accepted at this point. What kind of penalties um, could Ireland be looking at if they miss the targets in 2020, not alone 2030
3: down the line? Mm. Yeah, There also, I think, there's a lot in the climate legislation, a lot of flexibility which is left, I think, to member states in order to accommodate, I think, the member states who have difficulty in fulfilling, I think, their commitment by 2020, but also by 2020, by 2030. One possibility for Ireland would be to buy, I think, some kind of allowances, I think, from other member states who have more easily complied with a commitment because, at the end of the day, it is also at EU level that we will have to reach, I think, the, uh, the level of commitment that we have set um, in the context of the climate legislation, or there is also the possibility, I think, for member states, in order to put in place some corrective action, to already anticipate on the following years and to carry over some kind of level of emission allowance with an additional, you know, um, target, I think, to be reached at eight percent, so that I think the underachievement of the commitment will be carried over over the next years, until 2030, but with additional difficulties. So what is not being done now will have to be done in the future with some additional effort in order to compensate, I think, the underachievement.
0: And what about the supports for environment and climate action under the CAP reform? What supports will be available?
3: Well, I think the... um, The improvement, I think, of the environmental performance and the climate performance is one of the key priority of the future CAP. There will be a significant budgetary level of support for uh, for this, but also there will be um, a radical change also in the level of effectiveness of the instruments that will be put uh, at the availability of farmers in order to improve, I think, their impact on our own environment, address, I think, the issue of climate adaptation and also to optimise, I think, the uh, climate mitigation potential. And there, I would like to mention, I think, two, I would say, paths of action. The first one is that we expect to improve, I think, the climate performance of, this, of the CAP through a new system of delivering public support to farmers a system which is based on the needs, a system which is much more strategic, and a system also that better integrate uh, environmental and climate legislation in the CEP, so that in the future, Member States will have to implement grant public support, I think to farmers, by better integrating already the commitment taken under environmental legislation, climate legislation and energy legislation. The other element also which we play in favor of improving the climate performance of the or the public support in the context of the CAP relates to the toolbox that will be available to farmers. Toolbox toolbox made of mandatory elements, like a conditionality system. Public support will be based, uh, will be granted, you know. Condition to the respect by farmers of specific standards and specific legislation related in our case to climate. But also there will be some voluntary instruments in the first pillar and in the second pillar. Voluntary instruments also complemented by support, I think, for knowledge, access to advisory services, access, I think, to uh, innovation support, but will all and all, but we'd all combine to improve I think the um, I would say the, uh, the raising of ambition I think under climate.
0: And just to drill further into that Pierre under the new cap each member state must develop its own strategic plan as you mentioned there uh, to deal with specific objectives in, in each country um, <clears throat> are you concerned that by giving individual member states greater autonomy to design their own strategic plans that it may make the system of payments more complicated?
3: No, we're not worried at all, to be frank. On the opposite, I think we see this new system of delivering public support and the obligation put to member states, I think, to develop, I think, their own strategic in a plan that will be subject to approval. We see that as a way to improve the performance of public support and being responsible, I think, for the introduction of greening and implementation of greening. I can tell you that this is extremely important, I think, to improve, I think, the way um, policy instruments to help on the environmental and, uh, and climate objectives, but also it will be a way also to, um, in another way, to simplify the policy um, the policy framework. This has been one of the fiercest criticism brought, I think, to the policy framework, but it was way too complex for public administration, but first and foremost, I think, for farmers. So in the future, we see three really three strands of uh, simplification for farmers. The first one is that in the future strategic plan, there will be much less details and requirements set at EU level so that Member States will have the possibility to simplify, I think, the design of the policy measures uh, in order to allocate, I think, public support to farmers. There will be also in the CAP proposal, there is also in the CAP proposal as a promotion of new technologies Using satellite information, using using uh, geotag pictures, etc., in order to make the whole system of administration and control of public support much more sim- uh, much more simple and much less burdensome for um, for farmers, and also in our view, through the strategic plan, we will have a public support a policy framework that will be much better fitted, and much more appropriate. To the needs of farmers, to the agronomic practices we know which are in place, and to the socio-economic and environmental, uh, um, environmental um, context I think in which I think farmers I think do uh, do operate. So, in our view, this public support will be much more, and the requirement put to farmers would be much more acceptable than it is right now.
0: Um, just on the new system of eco-schemes, uh, which will be coming in under the new cap, um, they're going to be funded from national direct payment allocations. Um, they'll be mandatory for member states, but voluntary for farmers. Uh, when it comes to how farmers should be rewarded for taking on those schemes, you know, what should farmers expect?
3: Well, basically, this would be, I think, the system of rewarding of. Um, Um, supporting financially farmers I think to undertake and to enter into this eco-scheme commitment this will be left to the Member States who will have two choices. Either they can use some incentive decoupled top-up to the basic payment and this in our view represent I think you know a a very important way and stimulating incentivizing you know way of uh, supporting farmers to enter into you know practices which are more beneficial for environment and climate or there will be member states will be able to use a, a compensatory you know system based on cost incurred and income foregone as it currently exists in the second pillar for green environment and we do believe that this with this possibility this double possibility for, for member states to grant public support to farmers we do believe that the Eco scheme could be really a game changer I think you know in the uh, in the improvement in enhancing. I think the uh, environmental and climate ambition for the for the CAP.
0: And there's enough in that to encourage farmers to take on those schemes to take to take responsibility in that area. Yeah.
3: Well, this will be, I think, for the member states to decide what type of scheme they want to design on the basis of the needs identified in relation, for instance, to soil quality, in relation, for instance, to biodiversity. Um, so member states will decide. To what extent I think they want to support financially ch- some changes in uh, in practices agricultural practices, some changes in production system, organic farming, conservation agriculture. Um, so this will be for the member states to decide again on the basis of the needs what they want to support under the Eco scheme in the first pillar and what kind of financial incentive they need to propose in order to make these schemes sufficiently attractive and to have, you know, really a massive scale effect in agriculture. Because the big difficulty we have now with these environmental schemes is that the take-up of these schemes is rather limited, around 20 to 25% of the agricultural area in the EU. What we want to have a much more massive effect, I think, of these uh, policy instruments in order to really uh, make a leap forward in improving the environmental and climate performance of the CAP.
0: Um, Pierre, under the reform for proposals under Pillar One, direct payments will be reduced um, at sixty thousand and capped, capped at sixty thousand, and payments will be digressive payments up to uh, up to a hundred thousand, and that's about ensuring a fairer distribution of payments. Um, however. In Ireland in particular, say commentators claim that these proposals are, are somewhat undermining or misleading in areas uh, because it discounts some of the smaller print um, of the Commission's proposals such as the full deduction of on-farm labour costs. Um, do you accept that? Do you accept that there, there are loopholes perhaps in the Commission's proposals that still work in favour of, of those in receipt of, of huge farm subsidies?
3: I think in this matter, I think we, we need to go back I think to the fundamentals. what do we want to achieve? What we want to do with the proposal for a system of reduction of payment and capping is first, I think to make I think the distribution of public support much more fair, more equitable, and also much more effective. And we have heard I thing, you know, uh, earlier in this interview, that the budgetary context risks being much more restrictive than what is uh, what is existing I think, currently. So we need to have a distribution of support which is much more effective, and we need also to address, uh, I would say, the public discomfort and the uh, the public criticism that we have on the granting of our support of our support, which is concentrated in a limited number of large or very large farms in the EU. This 80-20 debate, 80% of the payment goes, I think, to 20% of the beneficiary. So we need to act to have a more effective distribution, a more equitable distribution of uh, of public support. We have for this proposed, I think, a a system of reduction of payment and of capping. But at the same time, we do not want to penalise large farms which create a lot of employment in rural areas so that we have introduced this this obligation to deduct the cost of labour, I think, on the on the farm for the beneficiaries, but let's be honest. I think there's, um, I would say, some kind of, you know, political reluctance from some countries to accept. I think this uh, this proposal, but in this manner, I will, I will, uh, in this matter, I will mention just two elements. The first one is that, as compared to the current situation, we have set a level of threshold which is much lower than what currently exists. Currently, we are at 150,000. This is the minimum threshold from which we start reducing the level of payment. We have set rates of reduction which are much higher than what exists currently. And also as compared to the current situation where the reduction of payment only concerns the basic payment, we are covering in terms of scope, all direct payment will be subject to this system of reduction and of capping. And we shouldn't forget also one thing, that if there is an uneven distribution of public support in the EU, towards think a limited number of farmers is that this is directly linked to the fact that land, the distribution of land in the EU, is also very uh, unevenly distributed. And there again you will find the same ratio, 80-20 in terms of distribution of land.
0: But is there a case for an even stricter ceiling considering the pressure that the budget is under?
3: If Member States, in the design of a strategic plan, uh, do feel the needs that they need to do more, In terms of reduction of payment, they have the possibility to go beyond, I think, the reduction rate which has been proposed. So there's a possibility for member states to set already from 60,000 to set a much higher level of reduction than the 50% currently proposed by the Commission.
0: Recently, Pierre, the, the, EU's parliament, um, the EU Parliament's Agriculture Committee voted in favour of um, 100% convergence of payments mm-hmm. under the cap uh, post-2020. Um, Commissioner Hogan's proposals limited convergence at 75% of the national average. Obviously, these are, are, are legislative proposals um, we still have a long way to go with them, but how likely is it that 100% convergence will be implemented?
3: Again, this will be left up to the member states in the design of a strategic plan to see on the basis of the needs in terms of income support, whether they should already go for 100% convergence or whether they will, uh, they will stay with what is the minimum required in the commission proposal of 75% and the setting of a maximum level of value I think, for the entitlement. What is fundamental also to recall in this debate is that what we want is that and this is mentioned in the proposal, we want to introduce a uniform level of payment per group of territories which are facing similar conditions, either environmental and agronomic conditions or socio-economic conditions. And this for the with the objective to have you know a much more efficient and equitable system of public support, I think, between farmers. So for those countries who do not use currently the entitlement, they will have to set a unit rate of support, not necessarily at a national level, but at regional level, on this basis of these uniform, homogeneous uh, territories. But for those countries like Ireland, who are currently using entitlement, these countries, in our proposal, will have the right to maintain a system of entitlement with minimum 75% of convergence. But again, as I mentioned in the beginning of my intervention, they can go up to 100%. But this would be left to the member states on the basis of the needs, I think, for income support of the farmers.
0: Um, The Department of Agriculture carried out their CAP consultation process there recently Mm. and uh, the definition of a a genuine farmer was a real sticking point um, with officials and with the the farm organisations and with the farmers themselves, Um, so this issue came up a lot. the Department has said that the Commission's guidelines on defining a genuine farmer are impossible. That, that's been um, on the record. Um, just from the viewpoint of running a practical payment system, uh, do you accept that it's incredibly difficult for Member States to land at a definition that is acceptable to all, um, a definition of a genuine farmer?
3: I will answer straight, I think, to you. I think it's not impossible first, and it's much, it's much better done at national level, But at EU level as we have currently with the Active Farmer Clause. But there again, I think we should go back to basics. Why do we want to limit the granting of public support under direct payment to genuine farmers? Again, I think this goes back, I think, to the budgetary context. It is important in the restrictive budgetary context to channel public support to the real farmers, what we call, I think, genuine farmers. And this is why with the proposal we want to exclude from the benefit of public support those beneficiaries who have a very limited, if not insignificant, link to agriculture, to the activity of agriculture, or who do not have as main, I would say, uh, operation, main activity, the activity uh, of farming. For this, we are proposing to, we have set a principle, so to limit the granting of support to genuine farmers, but we have proposed on the basis of our experience now with the current, you know, active farmer clause, and on the basis of the fact that member states know much better the structure and the diversity of the farming sector than us in Brussels, in a a very nice building. So we have proposed that member states, this will be member states who will have to design and define precisely what is a genuine farmer, what will be the criteria to put in place in order to define this genuine farmer. We have proposed in the legislation some criteria linked to the um, kind of income test. Income test, I think the percentage of income in terms of percentage of time spent on the farm, um, the very purpose I think, of a company, of a corporation, the uh, listing I think, of registers, etc., We have proposed, I think, some examples, but at the end of the day, this would be the member states who know much better the situation on the ground to define precisely, precisely, I think, this concept of genuine farmer. And we would find it very surprising that member states wish to continue granting, I think, public support to beneficiaries. We have nothing to do uh, with the farm sector.
0: I- Um, Pierre, the farmers in Ireland are also very concerned about reference years. um, As it's under the reform of the next cap, can farmers expect that the reference years, so the 2000, 2001, 2002, that um, they will be changed or modernised in any way to to reflect more current production levels?
3: The reference year that will be used if Ireland decides to keep a system of entitlement, they will have to define the value of his entitlement. And the value of his entitlement will start, uh, will, start, will be defined with a reference to the value of the entitlement in 2020. But the value of his entitlement in 2020 was linked to the value of entitlement in 2014, which itself was linked to uh, the level of production and the type of production in the period, I think, 2000, 2002. So there will remain a link between what farmers are receiving currently in terms of value of entitlement and the future value of entitlement should Ireland wish to maintain, I think, such a system. So the reference here, if you may call it like this, will be the value of entitlement in 2020, so at the end of this current period.
0: So still linked to historic production Indirectly, levels. Yes. Um, Tassos, um, there is a huge focus on the next cap as well uh, when it comes to digitization and and technology and the role that that's going to play in the future of farming in Europe. Um, can, you, can you tell us more about that, about the role of research and innovation and new technologies um, in the future cap?
1: Uh, yes, I can tell you on two things. First of all, already Frank mentioned the focus of the next uh, budget on more research and part of it is a doubling of money for research related not only to agriculture, but the food chain system. And second, uh, it comes very evident from all the challenges that Pierre mentioned before about uh, climate change and the environment, that we need knowledge and knowledge that has to be new and much more targeted to addressing this new type of challenges we'll have to face. It takes some time to generate this knowledge. Sometimes knowledge is already present in the form of innovation, in the form of best practices that farmers want. So what is extremely important for the future of uh, the uh, CAP is that we produce new knowledge to address this new type of challenge that we're going to face. We find better ways of exchanging the knowledge that we already have obtained both with previous research projects, but also with best practices and innovation, and use the digitalization era and the fact that we have better ways of sharing this information in a manner that bridges the gaps that exist between those that have this knowledge in hand and those that don't have it as of yet.
0: Tasus, you mentioned the, the digital era there and um the the possibilities that are available out there to farmers to, to really uh, expand in that area and to advance. But broadband is remains a big issue um, in a lot of Member States, particularly in Ireland. It's a, it's a it's a battle um at home at the moment on, on broadband. So there are difficulties there for farmers to progress uh, with digitisation, or even to envisage, I suppose, the possibilities, when the basic requirements, um, such as high-speed broadband, aren't there. Um, so, uh, do you take that on board as well when you're when you're thinking about uh, future strategies and future plans, future sharing of knowledge, that the the foundations of actually um, sharing and getting access to those areas uh, may not be there in some of the member states.
1: No, we we take it uh, for granted and that's why we keep pushing for the expansion of all these type of opportunities to all areas and especially rural areas but the issue that you raise is not an agricultural issue because in rural areas you have schools you have hospitals you have uh, tourism uh, and other type of services that also require the access to these technologies you have the banking sector so it's not just the agricultural sector that requires brown but it's just an overall need to bridge the gap between the urban and the rural areas. And one way to do it is by providing them the same opportunities that people living in the cities have and broadband comes clearly on top.
0: And obviously adopting new technologies is a costly task as well. Um, How will the new CAP support farmers to implement further technologies on-farm?
1: there is a a set of uh, incentives and payments that exist both uh, in the more targeted uh, second pillar type of measures but indirectly also the eco schemes that were mentioned by Pierre could do that but what is extremely important is to ask ourselves uh, do we need or do we not or can do we need to move fast into this new uh, type of technologies or can we wait And again, this is a type of question that everybody has to ask uh, themselves, especially in the farming sector. Um, The same type of questions were asked when uh, computers were first introduced or when smartphones were first introduced. The sooner farmers move into the application of new technologies, the best is going to be for their overall performance. But of course, a crucial element there is the presence and the functioning of farm advisory systems. And I think Ireland is one of the best examples we have in the European Union about a functioning farm advisory system.
0: And what about the impact of digitization on farm profitability? Where do you see the, the advantages there? Is it, I presume, advantages um, in terms what, of impact? What
1: it's generally termed as farming 4.0, this new type of the application of the digital economy to farming, has a very important difference with the previous stage of technological revolution in agriculture. In the so-called Green Revolution, what you had is a very significant increase in the economic efficiency of farming at the expense of the environment. What Farming 4.0 does is it allows you to improve at the same time the economic and the environmental efficiency of, uh, of farming. And by doing that, it creates uh, opportunities that are there uh, to be grasped uh, by farmers. And what we have seen is it manages to, at the same time, improve the yields and the economic efficiency and reduce the environmental costs. And overall, this has a clear impact in terms of the reduction in the longer term of course, Of, costs. of course, in the short term, you need investment, and investment bears Uh, certain uh, type of costs that have to be introduced and that's why the type of incentives that exist and the type of specific targeted measures could help addressing this issue.
0: And what about the impact of unemployment um, on farms?
1: I think this is one of the most interesting areas uh, in uh, underestimated advantages that this type of technologies have for rural areas. Farming everywhere around the world faces a reality that the number of farmers today are less than what they were 20 years ago and are more than what they're going to be 20 years from now. This is an overall demographic trend that is in a sense uh, irrelevant to to a very large extent to what type of policies we do. But if you are today in the services sector, in the banking sector, in the retail sector, sometimes even in robotics in the medical sector, The fear that people have is that new technologies reduce the number of existing jobs. They do create other types of jobs, but they reduce existing jobs. In the farming sector, we know that there is a trend of losing farmers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there is a trend of losing employment in rural areas. Because these new technologies and the type of challenges we have to address require more jobs that are more knowledge-based, that are much more linked to the type of challenges that the younger generation will have to address, and also provide more Mm -hmm. net growth of jobs in rural areas. And it's very interesting to see in that respect the results of a recent study that was done for us by the World Bank, which indicates the very significant importance of the presence of the common agricultural policy in all areas of the European community, and its positive impact on jobs growth and poverty reduction. And with new type of technologies, this impact will only get bigger.
0: And what about the relationship there between the farmer and the consumer? If there is more technology, more digitization, more connection, it will connect the consumer with the... It will the, connect with the... the
1: consumer because the information about what the producers produce and how they produce it, because that's a big requirement. The environmental footprint of production methods Could immediately pass uh, to the consumer and there are uh, clear examples of how this is done already on the ground. Uh, I don't want to be misunderstood that this is something that applies to everybody right now. But in every technological revolution you have stages where in the the beginning the introduction is relatively slow and then it speeds up. Uh, What we try to do is provide all the necessary orientation and measures that will speed up this process.
0: You mentioned there, um, Tassos, just about uh, young farmers and encouraging them in true technology and true, true uh, more digitisation. Succession obviously is a massive issue um, across the EU uh, including Ireland and I suppose that that's probably one of the ways you have to encourage young farmers in as well when, when it's shown as a really a, a revolutionary sector uh, where it's adopting these technologies and um, is that is that would you agree with that yes, or
1: I, I fully agree with that and we also have taken measures to strengthen the support we provide to young farmers. But we also have to keep in mind uh, that there are certain areas where national legislation plays also a very important role. The pension schemes we have are very different in different member states. Taxation schemes are very different land markets and the legislation on land markets is very different and the inheritance and the passage of uh, the farm from one generation to the other is very different in different member states. So it's not only what we do at the level of the European Union that matters but also what member states are doing at their own level. And I think also there Ireland uh, has positive examples to give about how it tries to address the two main bottlenecks that young farmers face, which is access to land and access to credit.
0: Mm -hmm. So the next cap will be a good cap for young farmers?
1: It will be a much better cap for uh, young farmers than the, the present one, but they also have to put their effort and do something of their own, it's the policy sets the overall framework. But if people don't grasp the opportunities and minimize the risks and the costs that are going to be there, then obviously some of these opportunities are not going to be exploited.
0: Uh, just finally, uh, Tassos, on the the opportunities with technology, what sectors could benefit most, do you think, uh, from bringing in more technology and more digitization? Uh, you you mentioned maybe initially some areas will benefit faster or more easily and um, what sectors do you think Well,
1: if one looks at attention? the public debate one gets the impression that most of the benefits go to the arable crops because what comes in mind is the satellite and the sensor but at the same time if digitalization and new technologies are about the use of data data are Ev- present everywhere in the farming activities, especially in the livestock sector. So a country like Ireland has a lot to gain in terms of improving the efficiency of both the dairy and the, uh, the beef sector. We mentioned before the link between producers and consumers. This is one of the areas where how exactly they use it will have an impact. And what we also need to keep in mind that it is uh, the new technologies are more size neutral than always you don't necessarily have to be big as a farmer what is extremely important is to find ways of cooperating and sharing the information and the knowledge that would be crucial
0: and finally just one more question Um, I suppose if we're looking down the line towards the back end of the year, it is a possibility that there could be a new commissioner for agriculture and rural development. Um, Obviously, from an Irish perspective, we hope that isn't the case. But um, if there is um, a new commissioner brought in, um, how could that impact on the current uh, proposals that are on the table?
1: Well, you're talking to civil servants and our job is to analyse the current situation and present it to the new commissioner. And the real question is, are any of the challenges that we discussed and we're facing right now going to change or not? From what we see right now, they're all going to remain uh, the same.
0: Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, Thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, We're out of time and um, we appreciate that you all took the time to be here with us at the European Commission. Um, And I'm sure we'll be back again for an update at at some stage. Um, So thank you also for watching at home. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on any of our our platforms. Uh, We'll be back in Dublin in studio next week. We'll see you then.